Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, welcome. This is Nancy, and um, we're uh, we're going to delight you with an amazing show today. It's been a little while since I've done a live show, and I'm so excited um, to have a return guest with me who's an expert in the areas of learning, memory, and brain health, which is the topic for today, learning, memory, and brain health. You know, we hear a lot about brain health, but this is really a deep dive more into how learning and memory intersect and intertwine and move around each other. There's so much um, I have learned just preparing for this show. I'm very excited to talk with you all about it. Um, you know, I'm told that learning and memory are in- connected in how we engage our senses in the world around us. So we'll be talking about how the brain is wired to learn through our eyes, ears, hands, our taste, and our heart. Um, our brain, I'm told, learns through our senses because we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell something. We create neural connections when um, two brain cells begin to connect and talk to each other. These brain cells link together. We create neural pathways. Um, Soon these links turn into chains and chains turn into networks and we have created new memories, new habits, new beliefs. It's an amazing world of um, science going on in there. We're not going to focus as much on the science today. My guest today, uh, Jennifer Price, has been with me before, and we did uh, we did a topic back in June called Neuroplastic is Fantastic, Brain Growth as We Age, and she talked a lot about the science behind um, creating new neurons, and I refer you back to that. Um, if you're interested in that, the June 16th um, show that we did together, but Jennifer and I wanted to do another show because there were things that came up that really interested me about how we learn and in particular about different types of memory and how the ability to learn new things not only, of course, engages our brain in a way that creates a more healthy brain, but also the interconnectedness of learning with memory Um, Today, um, again, I have Jennifer Price with me. She's the founder and CEO of Learning Foundations, a personal advancement center in Denver, Colorado, where she leads a team of educational specialists. Those specialists support the diverse neurological needs of learners of all ages. Um, Jennifer knows a lot about the brain, how it functions, uh, knows more than anyone I know about learning and memory. So, hey, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming back. I'm very excited to have you here today. Thank you. It's so fun to be back. You and I have such interesting conversations. We need to bring more people in on them. 
We do. <laughs> and, and yeah, I know. And we're very passionate about it, which is pretty funny. But because um, I don't know if everybody is. I think that the people who tune into this will be particularly interested in the things that um, we, you and I have to say. Uh, mostly you, less so me. But um, let's get started. Um, I know that um, let's first talk about learning and just get some context around um, how we learn and what's going on when we're learning new things and how you use the senses to help people remember things. things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, decades ago, you know, 30, 40 decades, 30, 40 years ago, they used to talk about our learning style and they would tell people, I, my background is in teaching. So as a teacher, they would say, make sure you find out what your student's learning style is. And so we used to go out and ask them, you know, how do you learn best? Do you learn when you see things, when you see pictures, when you see words, do you learn best when you hear something over and over do you learn best when you manipulate it with your hands or do you learn best when you have a relationship with that person you're learning from? And they never really told us why it mattered. So this idea of having a learning style kind of failed and, and it didn't go very far. It's still, it's still out there floating around, but no one's ever really connected it to why it matters so intently on the learning process. And what we've learned at Learning Foundations is that it connects to our long-term memory. So when we have a long-term memory of something, we've engaged multiple senses to lock in and ensure that that memory stays. And then when we don't engage all of our senses, we're choosing to kind of put it in our short-term memory and say that this is just short-term, I'm going to cram, I'm going to try to remember it for a short period of time, but it's not a priority, so it doesn't go into my long-term memory. And so now, now we know the connection between how important it is to know your learning style because it connects to really how you integrate that into your long-term memory and build on it over the course of our life. So even through experience, when we're experiencing something, we're seeing it, feeling it, hearing it, uh, touching it. And that experience creates a connection. And when we use our eyes, our ears, our hands, these are all neural connections. So when my eyes look at something, I'm telling my brain to connect to it, to my eyes. When my eyes hear it or when my hands touch it, there's more connection. Now I've got more neurons connecting because I'm engaging more than just my eyes. I'm engaging my ears, my hands. And then when we engage our heart, it's like times 10 you know, becomes so much more important. And so something I like to give to people to think about is if you think back a long, long time to some important memory, how would you describe how you remember something? And that tells us a lot about how you learn because it tells us how you prioritize how your brain's going to connect things. And so for me, for instance, I know that I need to see things. I'm, I need to see them and I need to feel them. Um, so when I learn someone's name, I have to write it down on a piece of paper and see it with my eyes. If you just tell me your name, I, my brain's not wired as well with my ears as it is my eyes. So when I see it and I see it written down, I'll remember it. But if you just tell it to me, I'll forget it. So our learning styles all connected to how well we remember and retain information. 
And and that in and of itself um, could be very critical for a lot of our seniors because it's not a topic that we addressed as young people in terms of how we learn. Um, you know, even uh, 50 plus years ago, many of mm-hmm. us were, you know, in elementary school, high school, and um, um, and no one asked us what our learning style was. Nobody made an attempt to, um, to help mm-hmm. us to understand that. So um, it'd be interesting for people to reflect on that. And, and what I hear, like for adult children dealing with, um, you know, older parents or loved ones, um, it, it really is an exploration in listening to what the long-term memories are and and listening for how they remember that. That's that's fascinating. It is. It's personal observation. You know, it's like, how do you engage in something? So when you're talking to someone and you find them interesting, be aware, you know, am I engaged more when I'm looking at them and when they're looking back at me? Am I engaged more when I'm reading about it? Or am I engaged more when I take something apart myself and try to figure it out on my own? There's no right or wrong answer because what's so cool about our brain is it's naturally wired to learn. It wants to learn. It wants to make learning easy. And so we have multiple senses to choose from how we want to learn. And, um, and I can understand exactly why they didn't ask your generation how you learn because at the time, so many important things historically were occurring that talking about learning style was somewhat trivial compared to the fact that there were more important things to take care of at the time than to ask a student what their learning style is. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. So you have to prioritize and, and that's what they had to do then. And so now we're like, well, I guess this learning style thing might matter because we know that no matter what age we are at, our brain is still able to make those connections. And we learn so much about the brain across the human lifetime. So uh, I I want to get, you know, I want to get into memory and types of memory um, in this show. But uh, before we do that, I mean, um, this really speaks to if someone's having trouble with short-term memory, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, knowing how you learn can inform how you might remember. That's exactly right. Yes. So, for instance, if you want to remember where things are, so if let's say you misplace where your phone is, what we have to do for the brain is we have to make a very simple connection pattern. So, we, for instance, for me to remember where my phone is, I need to put it in the same place all the time, and I need mm-hmm. to see it there repetitively. So, I need to put it in the same place and then retrieve it from the same place repetitively for me to remember, oh, there's now a chain of memory that reminds me that my phone is in its home. It's in the one place it can be. Now, when we change the location of where our phone or our glasses are, of course, or our keys, we forget where we put it because we're not following that simple chain of connections. And that's how our memory builds and crystallizes where things are and where we put them. And we call those things habits. So it's like, well, how, how good are you at creating the habit of putting your keys in the same place all the time? 
or your phone in the same place all the time. And, and that can be the tricky part because that's human behavior that can be inconsistent. Right. And I'm a person who does put certain things in the same place. I'm also a person, I said I would do this on the show. You can use me. I'm <laughs> also a person who I will put my phone down somewhere different. Mm-hmm. And as I walk away, I say to myself, you're going to forget that, that, was, <laughs> that, you, that you put your phone there. And inevitably that happens. Um, or the, um, you know, I mean, for most older adults, you know, with mild short-term memory loss that might even be con- defined as normal, um, you know, the old go into a room and, and forget why you're there. You know, that, that early on, um, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, it's disturbing. Yes, um, yes. It, it concerns people. Uh, because it happens more often. And um, uh, yeah, that and misplacing things um, if they're put in a different place. Those, I would say, are two common, you know, universal before we get into even more yeah. extreme memory issues. Well, you know, I want to I want to encourage you that it's not just something that happens when we're old, it happens when we're young too. We see teenagers that go through hormonal fluctuations that go through the same thing when women are pregnant or when women go through menopause or men go through menopause. Um, hormonal fluctuations can mess with our memory. And that's important to know so we take it easy on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can happen at any age. But one of the most important things about remembering where we put things is we found that mindfulness, like really taking a second to, instead of saying, Nancy, you're going to forget this, you're going to say, Nancy, you put it here on the counter and you're going to take a second and look at it and see it with your eyes and remember it. Because sometimes we do things so fleeting so quickly that we don't give our senses a chance to lock in the memory. So Mm -hmm. then we have to retrace our steps and we can't find it because we weren't present. And so being present is a really big piece of this as well. So people are just simply moving too fast. Yeah. And and I certainly um, have many days where I am doing that. Me too. Me too. Uh, Yeah. So... um, So talk about, um, so what else do we want to say about learning and memory? Um, Well, there's different kinds of memory. Do you want to talk about the long-term and the short-term? I do. We've just got a few minutes before we initially break, but but let's get started on it. I, as I was telling you earlier, my novice self was looking at, because I come from the world of, um, you know, I have some expertise around cognitive impairment, but it's really more looking at short-term memory and long-term memory. And yeah. when you started talking about um, working memory, which is related to short-term but different, yeah, um, I became intrigued on learning more about the different kinds of memory. So maybe you can just introduce it, and then on the other side sure. of our break, we'll, we'll delve in. 
Yeah, well, in the simplest terms, we have long-term memory, which goes into our memory bank, and we remember it for a very long period of time. Then we have our short-term memory, and short-term memory means that we're kind of dumping it. We're like we're holding it in a we're holding it in place for a short period of time, maybe 24 hours, maybe two days, but then we're going to dump it because our brain has to choose to prioritize what to remember. We don't remember everything, and then we have working memory that is in the middle and. It is choosing to either go, our working memory kind of is a messenger between the long term and the short term. Our working memory is something that where we can hold a list of things for a few milliseconds in our mind, like seven things at a time uh, for maybe nine milliseconds. And then that tells us, oh, I need to go in the other room and I need to do something. And we walk in the other room, we change our environment. And all of a sudden our brain goes, do I remember what I was doing in this room? And that's our working memory, kind of holding it for us so that we can choose to either connect it to our short-term memory and dump it or keep it in our long-term memory and store it. And then there's this business of explicit and implicit uh, memory. Which is so important. And, and that's really simply said, explicit memory is what are the facts? What can we see? What is obvious? What is a fact? Our implicit memory is what do we think about it, feel about it? How do we conceptualize it? When we teach kids how to read, we teach them how to explicitly read words. But then we also have to teach kids what those words mean and how they have a deeper meaning. And so we're teaching them implicit memory at that point. Mm -hmm. And it plays a role in everything we do. You know, how much do we stay on the surface and just keep it in our short-term memory and keep it explicit, or do we make it go deeper and become implicit memory because then it becomes locked into our long-term memory? Okay. Yeah. We, we pull meaning. We pull meaning from something. That's all it means. We're just pulling meaning and choosing and saying, should I dump okay. it or keep it? Oh, okay. And that happens in those short-term working spaces? That's right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I need a break to catch up with myself on this because um, <laughs> no, and I, I I know you're working really hard to keep it simple for us. Um, so why don't we take a break, and when we come back, um, we can uh, you know we'll deep dive a little bit more into memory, which is so important for sounds great um, those of us that are older. Thanks. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. TrueLink Financial Incorporated is a financial services firm dedicated to serving older adults and people with disabilities. Their trust administration software, record-keeping platform, and the TrueLink Visa prepaid card were designed specifically for special needs trusts and other fiduciary vehicles to support trustees and their trust's beneficiaries. When combined with investment services provided by TrueLink Financial Advisors, LLC, their financial tools can help trustees save time and provide even more assistance to those they serve. Learn more at TrueLinkFinancial.com. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation 
offer practical, step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, thanks for coming back. And um, thank you to um, TrueLink Financial. I've been doing call-outs to them for a while. I think we're finally running their advertisement during our breaks. And... I appreciate their support. Um, so we we were getting into types of memory, and I was um, telling Jennifer that it might be simpler on this show to just talk about working and memory and short-term, long-term memory because, you know, I, I've seen articles in the Alzheimer's Association where they talk about semantic and episodic and you know, I mean, we could like really, really deep dive and maybe, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. But um, I think if we get a good working understanding of those three um, types of memory, then, you know, we can talk about other things later related to memory. Are you good? Are you up for that? Absolutely. In fact, okay. when we talk about memory, I want to kind of have us have a picture in our mind of something when we think of implicit and explicit, because I think it really mm-hmm. having a picture in our mind can really help ever, the audience understand the difference between implicit and explicit. Um, and so if you think of an iceberg, um, you know, they say that only 10% of the iceberg is above water and 90% of an iceberg is below it. So in the same way, when we are thinking about memory, our short-term memory represents the iceberg that's kind of outside on top of the water. It's the 10% and it's what we see. It goes along with what's explicit. What can I see, hear, feel, talk, taste about it? Those things. What are those external things? So when you think of explicit memory, you think about external things. What are the facts? What are things that I can touch that are tangible? Um, How can I make my memory better by using tangible things so that I can use that outside of the iceberg, the 10% better? And then when we think about the the 90% of the iceberg under the ocean, that's where our implicit memory is. And so it's much deeper, much more complex It's where we start to make assumptions and implications. It's where we use the data of the 10% of the top of the iceberg to determine how deep 
do we take our learning and our memory into that implicit 90% of the iceberg that's under the water? So hopefully that helps kind of categorize in your brain what we're talking about because it's important to have a picture so that we can build on that and we all know what an iceberg is. We all understand this concept. It's been used so many times that when we connect it to something we know, like an iceberg, our prior knowledge, we are building a memory and connecting it to something that's more substantial. So it takes a foundation. So now we're saying, okay, we're going to remember this because we can see it as a picture, which is, by the way, how humans began. We began communicating and remembering through pictures. Um, and then it became more complicated. So I won't go too deep, but I just think the iceberg um, model can help us understand the difference between the implicit and the explicit. So the long-term memory is not only the information um, and the memories that we prioritize, Mm -hmm. but it's also um, the long-term memory is where we interpret. Yep. Um, the information we're storing, and thus um, how we, could I make a leap here, how we uh, move through the world. That's right. How we perceive the world um, through this long-term interpretation uh, from the past, uh, from our childhood, from our adult experiences. Exactly. Because all of those experiences – they form, you know, an iceberg forms from the bottom up. And so we start our memory by our experiences when we're children and our experiences of what we go through, even generation to generation, you can see that people prioritize differently. And that's based on the experiences we have within our generation. And it starts building the bottom of the iceberg and those become our our values, our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then we build up from there. And then, of course, in the world of dementia, particularly Alzheimer's type, um, you know, as you know, um, short-term memory is lost Mm -hmm. much before um, long-term memory. And we know in the long-term memory world, when people have, you know, relatively significant dementia, um, those senses play a huge part. Oh, so significant. Smell and taste and sounds and visual. Um, You know, if someone has extraordinary dementia, when we uh, have shows about behaviors, we talk about, you know, if somebody's upset, the first thing I do is put a big smile on my face because sometimes it can shift their um, experience Yes. Um, the the um, from feeling disturbed to feeling happy, um, yeah. So, um, and then we, you and I, uh, privately have talked about a couple of things. One is to just loop us back to learning. You know, the old myth was the older you get, the more you cannot learn new things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we know that learning new things contributes to um, the to brain health to yep. um, our brain continuing to grow and um, expand and create new neurons and so let's wrap back around um, to learning and how finding ways to learn um, somehow filters through our ability to remember right. 
So what happens is when we learn something, essentially, it's two neurons talking to each other. So let's say we learn something and it's powerful. You know, I remember being young and learning that we had to go under the desks um, in case there was war, right? So we're learning a a repetitive series of something like this. We're going to practice something. We're going to have a drill. We're going to hide under the desks because if bombs come, we'll be safe under our desks. But we weren't just learning to hide under our desks. We were learning that it was important. We were learning that other people thought that was important. We were also learning that it can feel, we feel fear, that if I feel scared, I can hide under my desk. And what's happening is while we think we're just doing something simple, our brain is interpreting it with our emotions and our logic. It's interpreting it with our eyes, our ears, our hands, our heart, everything. And so what happens is each of those pieces, each of those connections, my eyes seeing it as a connection, my heart feeling it is another connection. Each of those connections kind of braid together, they're threads, and they braid together to become a rope. And the rope becomes kind of who we are. So by the time that we are 14 or 15, we have something called a personality. And our personality is built on the fact that we have learned what is important to ourselves and to others. We have learned, you know, what what makes what's most important to me. Um, And we don't always learn the same things our parents learn. You know, we have our own free will to choose what is important and how how I if I want to remember it. Um, So our our circuits, essentially, our brain circuits are are just connected to our senses and and they're built and their their foundation is built when we're little and that foundation gets stronger and thicker um, and stronger the older we become and the more experienced we become. And so sometimes we might say that we can have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset and a growth mindset means I'm ready to learn new things. And a fixed mindset's more of a concept of I'm not really ready to learn new things. So even where we're even when we take a moment to say, you know, do you want to learn? Are you ready to learn? That's a decision that either can prime our brain to make more connections, or it can turn our tell our brain to not make more connections and that it's fine with what it knows and it doesn't need to know more. So it's kind of this amazing human being experience that is connected to learning and our positive and negative experience of learning chooses whether we continue to learn more or not learn more. Okay. Yeah. So if you think back when you were little and you think of something that was really important and you think about what it was. Um, when you recollect that memory, how would you describe it? Would you describe what you saw, what you experienced, what you felt? Um, and probably your emotions are, might be one of the very first things that trigger the thought. Or maybe if you smell chocolate chip cookies, it might trigger an emotion from a long, long time ago. Because essentially, our learning is built on our neurons connecting and retaining that pathway. So if I learn it and I repeat it, I will remember how to do it. Otherwise, if I learn it and I don't repeat it, I won't remember it. And that feeds into that going back to that explicit and implicit memory. Do I need to remember it just on the surface, just temporarily? Or do I need to remember it because it's crucial to my survival? 
and it's critical to my ability to adapt and, and be well in this environment. So that human experience is very connected to our learning and our memory. Okay. So, um, so learning, we hear a lot in the senior community mm-hmm. about learning new things mm-hmm. and how it's important to brain health. Yep. And um, seniors are finally also hearing that it's not simply um, doing a daily crossword puzzle that's going to create what needs to be created in our brain. Mm-hmm. It's actually learning something completely new, like a new language or a new musical instrument, um, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, what? Why is that? Why is that important? Why is what important specifically? Why is it we- important that it be something new and different? Oh, okay. Yeah. So essentially what we've come to discover recently in the last decade is that our brain actually does continue to create new neural, it's called neurogenesis. We actually have neurons that can continue to create. So that means that our brain is not fixed. It doesn't stop creating a certain number of neural connections. We stimulate our neural connections through our senses. So we can continue to grow new brain cells and new brain connections. And that's amazing because people used to think that, oh, well, by the, you know, as we get older, we can't create those new neural connections, but we can unless we shut our senses down. We don't want to shut our senses down. So we want to stay lively. And one of the things that happens as we age is that we get set in our ways. We get um, a pattern and we just repeat that pattern. The more we repeat a pattern, it becomes automatic and it becomes easy. So sometimes as humans, we choose the the easy way. Like I'm just going to do the same thing over and over because I know what I'm doing. I've done it before. It works and it's easy. And then that almost leads to a fixed mindset of not growing. So then when we say, well, I'm going to try to understand somebody else's perspective who I've never understood before. We're telling our brain that it needs new neural growth to understand it, that we don't have what we don't understand that person's perspective, but I'm willing to make new connections. I'm willing to have an open mindset and say, I am willing to listen to where you're coming from and understand your perspective. And as we do that, our brain grows like limbs on a tree. It's really quite remarkable. So we can choose to say, I'm just going to do things that are easy and stay in that automatic fixed mindset. Or we can say, I'm going to choose something small to learn, a new something small and, and chunk it down so you can really make it a goal you can attain. And that becomes an open mindset where we're literally turning our brain on and saying, yes, make new neural connections. Let's learn more. Let's detect more and investigate this further. And that happens even with people who have Alzheimer's because their brain still has neurogenesis if they use it, if they stimulate it. And that's why they tell people to exercise or walk because all of that is stimulating new neural connections, new neural growth. Wow. So doing new activities with someone with Alzheimer's can 
They can create new habits. Yeah. So what's interesting about it is um, when you say don't do Sudoku every single day, that's not neural growth because essentially your brain knows all the answers. So you're not stimulating new growth because you're just following those same pathways like paths in a mountain, trails in a mountain. They're already established. So when we learn something new, like I'm going to do Sudoku or Sudoku, but I'm also going to do, I don't know, um, I'm going to memorize somebody's phone number. <laughs> Not that we do that anymore, but when we used to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to try to, I'm going to learn to play the piano, which was yeah. an interest in my youth. Yeah. Right. It was an interest in your youth. It's something you can still do today, but you have to attack it in a way where it becomes achievable. So don't don't choose a goal that's not attainable. So if you say, I want to learn a whole song. Right. Or let's say, looks like Jennifer might have frozen a bit, but let's say, yeah, I mean, Japanese is often a language that is um, suggested, and I would say... Uh, that for me would be unattainable. I barely was able to learn more Spanish. So, um, you know, I think I've um, lost Jennifer momentarily. I'm going to go to our next break. Um, Before I do that, let me just say a couple of things about TrueLink Financial, who is a sponsor of this show. Um, I work with many, many companies, individuals, families, trust officers, um, uh, banks, et cetera, who uh, work with TrueLink Financial, particularly their prepaid debit uh, slash credit card. Um, They also now uh, provide banking services. Um, uh, It's fully online. You get access to a um, dashboard online. It's really uh, an amazingly simple use um, platform that I encourage people to explore, particularly if you've got um, aging loved ones um, with caregivers uh, in in the home who are doing shopping, et cetera, and financial transactions. I also encourage you to go to aginglifenetwork.com and, um, you know, give us a call if you're feeling overwhelmed by uh, what you're doing uh, with uh, in your own life or with a loved one. We're going to take our second and final break and hopefully fix the glitch with Jennifer. And then I'll be right back. Okay, thanks. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. 
Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. TrueLink Financial Incorporated is a financial services firm dedicated to serving older adults and people with disabilities. Their trust administration software, record-keeping platform, and the TrueLink Visa prepaid card were designed specifically for special needs trusts and other fiduciary vehicles to support trustees and their trust's beneficiaries. When combined with investment services provided by TrueLink Financial Advisors, LLC, their financial tools can help trustees save time and provide even more assistance to those they serve. Learn more at truelinkfinancial.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Jennifer Price, CEO and founder of Learning Foundations uh, in Denver, Colorado. And she had a little uh, internet glitch and she is back with me. Thank God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) are um, Are you good to go there, Jennifer? I am. I'm ready. Okay. All right. So, um, learning, memory, and brain health. Um, You know, there's just a lot um, of processing that goes on in the brain. And um, I like the idea of being able to assist people that have. you know, what, what we used to call uh, mild cognitive impairment, which is now, I think it's in the DSM as like mild cognitive impairment or something. But anyway, um, this is um, a type of cognitive impairment that many adults have, only a third of which move on to um, an actual dementia um, type impairment, um, a third of those um, are said to be able to improve um, the, um, the myocognitive impairment with changes to lifestyle. And that may be those folks we're addressing today. There's also a third who um, sort of remain where they are, but uh, from what I'm hearing from you, there might actually be some help for them if they can begin to understand the the interconnection between memory and learning. And so, um, are there people like yourself or yourself that that folks can reach out to to help explore this? Um, are there yeah, resources? I think one of the most important things I've learned as a learning specialist is that 
if you think of our brain as a processing unit like a computer, information has to go in our brain. And then it has to be stored somewhere in our brain. And then it has to be retrieved and expressed out. So it's a one, two, three step. So information one has to go in the brain. Two, it has to store in the brain. And three, it has to come back out of the brain. And if you think of step one as how are we going to get it to go in? Are we going to get it to go in through those senses, through your eyes, your ears, through your experience, through your emotions, through a conversation? How are we going to get you to understand something and it's going to go into your brain? Then when it's in your brain, you're being mindful of it. You're saying, I'm going to organize it or I'm going to store it or this is important. I'm going to take a moment and really pay attention to it. And that second step is connected to something we call our frontal lobe. So the second step is really locking in, like, how am I going to prioritize this data that I just learned? And when we go to express it, that's, we can talk about it. We can write it down on a piece of paper. And you'll notice that you have different skill sets. Some people have an easier time talking about what they know. Some people have an easier time writing down and expressing in an essay what they know. And other people just want to show you what they know. But it really goes back to step two that's really, really critical because step one is how am I going to connect my senses? Step two is how am I going to be mindful of it? And step three is how am I going to express to other people what I know? And so when we look at research about long-term, you know, people that live a long life and they're um, long-termers, meaning that they're healthy and they're mindful and they're doing things at ages that shock people, what they're noticing is that that part of the brain, which is really the mindful part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is that that part of the brain is more established. And so the more we use our mindfulness, the more we take the time to connect and be mindful to something, we almost strengthen the frontal lobe of our brain like a muscle. And the stronger that muscle is, the longer it, the longevity we get through our, for it for the rest of our lives. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yes. And so it's really interesting how mindfulness is something that's a bit cliche in our, in our world, but we're living in a world where people are so connected to so many things, they're very disconnected at the same time. So how can we be so connected and so disconnected? Well, we can overwhelm our senses with step one. We can overwhelm our eyes, our ears, our hands, or we can stimulate our eyes, our ears, our hands, and start learning something new, creating a memory. And then how mindful of it are we? Do we do it more than once? Do we think about it more than one time? Do we repeat that action more than one time? Because it's that skill set that we're seeing really keeps our brain sharp over the course of our lifetime. And so that's what's exciting about the neurogenesis is that we're seeing that our frontal lobe, where we're mindful, where we're making decisions, where we're motivated to do things, this part of our brain can lead to better health, better brain health, better personal health. Um, and so to me, I always kind of remember that sometimes as human beings, we can make things really complicated, but if we simplify things, if we break things down and chunk them down to manageable parts, we don't, then we will actually simplify our life and we will create new habits. So it's a matter of, like, don't overwhelm yourself. Don't try to learn something that's overwhelming. You know, make it manageable so that 
it makes sense going into your brain and then be mindful of it so your brain thinks about it and creates these connections, these neural connections in our brain, and then you'll be able to express it or explain it or talk about it as, you know, step number three, it comes out of your brain. So I'm trying to simplify it Mm -hmm. because it can be so complicated, but if we simplify things and we just remember the simplicity of those things, it's easier to learn. Okay, yeah, and then there's the storing process, right? Um, Converting, because what you're talking about is really bringing it in, receiving it, and, um, you know, if your short-term memory is gone, you can't really hold it long enough to convert it. Right. Right. And and that's the that's the challenge with the Alzheimer's um, as people progress with the disease is they can't hold it long enough. But in the early and mid stages, there are ways that people can help them um, um, transfer it. Create if you will, into into storage and create that connection, right? I think when we had our June um, discussion about the science, it was like imagining, you know, a, um, it it may not, well, it might work this slowly, but, you know, the spots that a um, snail creates as it walks along the sidewalk or, you know, along the concrete, and there's these, yeah. it just creates that trail. And that's what those yeah. neurons are doing as you create them is they're creating a trail and then they begin to connect with other trails. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So um, for those of us with this m- mild memory issue, although I guess I can just start telling uh, staff and, you know, people on my team that, when I don't remember something, I'll just say, well, it wasn't a priority, so I didn't store it. I mean, that's kind of hard for them to hear. Yeah. But um, it, but there are examples of them saying, we had this conversation and you said this, and it disturbs me. But if it's not written down, I'm not holding on to every piece of information anymore that I that I, that is offered to me because it, I get a lot of it every day. Right. So if somebody wants you to remember something, you have the right to say, put it in writing, email it to me, text it to me, or mm-hmm. talk to me about it more than just once. Don't expect me to remember something that was said once just fleetingly because we hear thousands of things a day. And again, mm-hmm. our brain has to be selective. It has to prioritize what it's going to remember. So when you see it in writing or when you have an important conversation and you're meeting someone heart to heart in a conversation, those Mm -hmm. become priority because it's connecting to our senses and it's saying, this is important enough for me to lock in and be mindful of. But if it's just a conversation, a fleeting conversation, you're not really locking in a memory. So you're not going to necessarily remember it. Right, um, and that's important right. to know about our brains is that we yep. we can we can ask people to help us with our memory. You know, they say mm-hmm. when you create a new habit that you have to do something thirty four times about to create a new habit. That means you have to go down that neural pathway thirty four times before it becomes automatic. It becomes something you don't even have to think about. It's just a habit. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have to even start with, let's make sure we can do it seven times first. Because mm-hmm. 34 times is a lot. So let's make these achievable by you reminding me by writing it down, and I'll see it more than once. We'll talk about it, right. have a conversation about it, and then relive right. it and experience right. it. And that's another layer. And that's how yep. we retrieve our learning and our memory. Do you think, I know that brain health is really a, um, a passion, passionate topic for you. Do you think if we come from this angle um, that we have a whole show to talk about brain health or... Or do you think it might be interesting to bring in a couple other, yourself and a couple other um, folks from different disciplines to have a conversation about, you know, the three most important things um, related to maintaining a healthy brain? I, I'm just, I'm just curious, um, well, you know, what so you think. Many things. But, yeah, there because is. maintaining our brain also means taking supplements. You know, we live. Right. In Earth, we live on yeah. Earth, and there aren't the supplements in the dirt that we used to have. We don't get enough magnesium, which is really important to our brain health. So there's yeah. so many different professionals, like dietitians, could tell you things. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, brain mm-hmm. trauma tells us things. Kids with ADHD, mm-hmm. parents with mm-hmm. anxiety, we yeah. learn so much from what happens when it goes wrong. That we learn, mm-hmm. okay, how do we establish good health? How do we keep things in good circuitry? Right. And well, that's something that we benefit from, from learning from a variety of people. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of um, older aging uh, boomers and older adults uh, are very interested in this. But we have come to a close in the show. Um, Jennifer Price with Learning Foundations in Denver. Give us your uh, website so people can find you if they're interested. Yeah, it's learningfoundations.org, and Mm -hmm. we are in Denver, Colorado. We're all about learning from the brain and how our emotions affect our brain. That's perfect. And this is Nancy Oriola um, signing off on Aging Life Network. I will be back. Uh, I'm going to, after next week, we're going to shift to a podcast format only. And so come on, you guys, um, get on those podcast platforms Thanks for being with me today, and uh, Jennifer and I will be talking more about this topic and find some other interesting brain-related conversations to bring your way. Have a great day, and um, yeah, and keep learning, people. Keep learning. Take care. Bye. Keep learning. Keep learning. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.